we've been looking over the last few weeks at the whole issue of dating. Dating is something that has changed dramatically over the centuries, particularly in the recent, say, 150 years. It's changed drastically, and the current, the current vogue, you know, what's in vogue at the moment, is a very destructive, dangerous system. So we need to, to revamp our whole understanding and not just get caught up in the throw of society that we find ourselves in. And I hope you've seen some of that, and I hope you tell others about it. If friends of yours are dating, friends of yours are going into relationships, they need to know for their safety, for their future. So please communicate these things to others. Last week we looked at the traditional way that God would bring people together. God wanted to bring people together through himself. God was involved, for a start. <laughs> Parents were involved. And, of course, the person getting into the relationship was involved, <laughs> praise the Lord. But today, you know, God has been thrown out of the picture so much. And now it's about the person. It's all about the individual. It's all about me. God's been put out. Parents are no longer consulted so often. And it's become all about love. Love has become one of the gods of our society. And many people have written many books about the history of dating. And many of them tend to focus their, their um, anger on an era called the Roaring Twenties, which was in America, but it wasn't only in America. The Roaring Twenties, it was a time when restraint was thrown off. A time within society whenever there had been authority. There had been a structure. It was parental government. It was God. But there was a part of history where, particularly in the States, and then it moved across Europe, where that government was thrown off. And people, particularly women, wanted to be so-called liberated. Well, they certainly didn't get liberated. I think this picture is excellent and sums up the nature of the Roaring Twenties. Here they are, young guys, young gals, out having a good time, lots of music, lots of drink, and probably no father in sight. Left dad at home. Don't want to tell him. And the Roaring Twenties did roar, but the, the legacy they left is an absolute tragedy. Because once you start to throw off authority, you're in trouble. Be that God's authority or your parents' authority, once you start to tamper with the system that God has put in place for relationships or anything else, you're in trouble. We need God, right? And we need to obey God. Do you know in a traditional wedding, and you don't hear it as much now, you still hear it, but not as much. In a traditional wedding, the bride and groom would come down, and one of the things that you ask out loud in front of everyone is this. Who gives this woman to be married, right? That's a very important question. Because you see, that question says that the, the, these two people are not alone. There's somebody else involved, an authority figure. Now, normally that question is asked by the father, but it may not be the father. It may just be a pastor or an authority figure, but it needs to be asked. The question needs to be asked. That it's not just two people doing their own thing, their own way, without advice and without oversight. That's a catastrophe. The person who asks that question, who would you choose? Who would be asking on your part, let me ask you that, if you were getting married? Who would be asking that for you? There needs to be someone. And that person's task is to look at both parties involved and to assess whether the man is eligible and whether the woman is eligible. Eligibility is another you know, concept that's gone out the window. It's all about love. Who cares about whether they're eligible? We've got a big book here. And God's given some very clear advice. It says in the Bible, you know, that if a man can't provide, he shouldn't be getting married. He's not eligible. Right? It says many other things. A man's not eligible to get married if he can't provide for a wife. He's not eligible if he can't protect that wife. He's not eligible unless he is ready to lay his whole life down. Till... Death us to part. And someone needs to suss that out because you probably won't. Somebody needs to ask the hard questions. 
A friend of mine got married many years ago and I remember being around at the time of his engagement and I met his potential fiance and everything else and he was a good guy, she was a good girl. He had a good job, he was able to provide for her. Everything was good except one thing. <laughs> that guy wasn't ready for marriage. He just was not ready, you know? He was too young, well he wasn't too young, he was 26, but he was a young 26. He was still footloose and fancy free. He hadn't exhausted his single days. And I remember looking, thinking, do you know what? I would not think, you know, if I was that woman, I wouldn't be marrying you. Till death us do part, I don't know about that. And he wasn't, of course. They ended up getting divorced and came to a sad end. Eligibility is something you need to think about. And it's something that other people need to get involved in any relationship you're in. You see, when you throw off parental advice, when you throw off the church being involved in your relationship, you don't get liberty, girls. This is what you get. Absolute chaos. Channel 4, which is a UK TV station, did a documentary some years ago called Pram Face. And they were talking about basically the number, the huge number of single mothers within the UK. The girls who walk through the council estates pushing a pram and there's no man to be seen. And they've all got that same look on their face. Pram face. And a very sad documentary it was. You see, it's just true, friends. We live in a day when people think they can do whatever they want. This is the roaring 90s. Never mind the roaring 20s. Liberty, did you get liberty? I don't think so. You got your life messed up, kid. Because we throw off authority. We need to embrace authority. Amen. I had a young girl in this church right here. Not long ago. And someone you know, told me that girl's dating an unbeliever. Going out with someone who's not saved. I contacted her and we went down and we met with her. And I said, listen. Do you know, have you any idea what you're doing? You're born again. Is he your boyfriend? Yes. Not just a friend then. No, not just a friend. He's my boyfriend. Well, what I want you to do is I want you to break off that relationship. Let me talk to him. I'll have a word with him. Lock him in a room with Jeff for 20 minutes. He'll get saved. You'll be all right. Right? That I'm not against him. And I'm not against you. I'm on your side. I'm on his side. But there's a way to do this. So you need to, to, to step back from this. You've gone too far. You shouldn't be dating an unbeliever. Let me talk to that guy. But this girl just wasn't getting it. And she was sitting there, she said, well, well, let me think about it. And I said, listen, I don't think you understand. You're in this church, and that means I'm responsible. Now, let me make it really clear. I'm not asking you to not go out with him. I'm telling you, you're not going out with him. Do you understand? Because her dad wasn't around, and she needed help. And do you know what she did? She just went quiet, and she never came back. You see? She'll go somewhere where there's no authority. Go somewhere where I can live whatever way I want and you're a fool. You know, the Bible even says that those who intermarried with the lost, in Malachi it says, they could have been cut off. Lose your salvation. That's what that means. That God would cut them off for intermarrying. It's not a joke. It's not funny. And, and, and people mess about with these things. So dating is a mighty serious issue and we've been looking at it, studying it and trying to get some sort of structure that we as a church, and I praise God for the relationships going on at the moment. There's lots of healthy relationships here. And I thank God for that because there's good boundaries and proper biblical boundaries that people can operate in. Don't go from relationship to relationship to relationship in your life. Don't make that your goal. You know, you're going to get messed up doing that. That's almost like a rehearsal for divorce. Because if you think about it, look, you meet someone. You remember the world's way. You meet someone. You fall in love. You fall in love. The mistake. Then you realize it's the wrong person, so you have to uh, break apart. You're not going to marry them. Wrong guy. Wrong gal. So then you meet someone else. You fall in love. Oh, wrong person. Uh, and then one day you meet someone. You fall in love. Oh, but this time you get married. What are you going to do if it doesn't work out? Uh, I'll just do what I always did. I'll just walk away from it. I'll tear myself apart. And dating repeated people can give us a mindset like it's a bit of a rehearsal for divorce. And the Bible knows nothing of this kind of thing. God hates divorce. Right? 
And in 2 Corinthians, Paul says this, talking about the engagement, the betrothal of the the bride of Christ and the groom, Jesus Christ. And he says, "I, I have betrothed you to one Lord, one baptism, one church. There's one Lord, there's one bride, right? And that's how it should be, right? That's a good relationship there. It's not confused. It's not messed up. And you need to seek one person. Not go through this, you know, repeated dating and repeated dating. Be careful. I have betrothed you, he says, to one. So we need to seek that one very seriously. I had, didn't get saved till I was 26. I had several girlfriends before I got saved. But I never loved anyone. Never in my life loved anyone till I met Jeanette. And I thank God for that. I really do. I'm not damaged in that way and that I'm confused or anything and I can just devote myself to my wife. But I feel very sorry for people who who have fallen in love with a series of people because that does such damage to your relationship. So let's continue from where we left off. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22 says this. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm going to jump to verse 33. Ephesians 5, 33. However, each one of you, also must love his wife as he loves himself. See that? Each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. Let me tell you what Paul is getting at there. He's basically saying this. If you don't love yourself, you're going to have a lot of trouble loving other people. If we don't first learn to love ourselves... We're going to you know, get stuck. There'll be no natural flow in the loving of other people. Now, I come from a religious background. So loving myself is about as foreign to me as it could possibly be. I was brought up with no concept of loving myself. I thought I was supposed to hate myself, weren't I? Isn't that what Christians are supposed to do? And sometimes you can think like that, and it's completely wrong. Jesus says we are to love ourselves. In fact, it's part of the greatest commandment. What is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God. A group of Sadducees and Pharisees wanted to trick Jesus. They asked him a question. What is the greatest thing? What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus replied, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. And the next is close to it. To love your neighbor as yourself. So therefore, me loving myself is of immense importance to Jesus. It's one of his top commandments to you is that you would love yourself. And many believers, you know, will go through all their lives a bit like the rich young ruler. I obeyed this, I did this, I did that, I did that. And arrive at the judgment seat only to see that they missed one very important commandment. You never loved yourself. You never became the person that I wanted you to be. In the context that Paul is talking about, he's talking about marriage. And he's basically saying... If you want an unhappy marriage, then marry someone who doesn't love themselves because they're going to drain you. Have you ever known someone who's weak, someone who always needs affirmation, always needs to be encouraged? They're always down. They're always moping. They've got a very low self-esteem. And when you're with them, you're the one who's constantly supplying the grace. You're the one who constantly has to top them up. That'd wear you out, wouldn't it? It drains you. And Paul is warning about that. He's saying no one can do that, you know. No person can meet all your needs. No human being can do this. Nobody can make you happy 24-7. What are you thinking about? Don't be lazy. Love yourself. You see? Don't be lazy. Don't rely on other people to keep on topping you up with, with good feelings or whatever. Love yourself. Start to love yourself. And then, of course, marriage works as God intended it to be where Eve was a bonus 
to Adam. Eve wasn't the necessity that we see it as. I, I do not believe that. Eve was a bonus and Adam was a bonus to Eve. Now, the world teaches an awful lot about loving yourself. It's the church that's fallen behind. The world is always teaching about it, but the world's version of this is very different from our version. They talk about self-help and self-reliance. The world tells us about being a, a self-made man, but that's not it. That's not God's version of it at all. But God's version of how you should love yourself is immensely important for all the relationships that you will have in your life, particularly, of course, marriage. Do you know what the problem is? <laughs> we don't have enough good examples of people who love themselves. We're all so beaten down. Many messed up. When I got saved, God called me to, to preach and I joined a street preaching team. And they started to train me. And I would go out with that team and I would look at the preachers and there was plenty of them. There was about 10 or 15 guys used to preach on the streets with us. But there was one guy who was very special. He was very different. And I used to look at him with awe. He would get up. And I, don't, I really can't find the words to express it. He was full of confidence, but he wasn't proud. He was happy and holy at the same time. How do you do that? He was exuding such a good thing that as people walked down the street, the only way I could say to, to describe that guy was that he loved himself. But it wasn't wrong. It wasn't wrong. It was brilliant. It was excellent. And people, you could, you could see it, you could pick it up. And so when the lost are walking down the street, people would stop. I tell you, they didn't stop because of what he was saying. They didn't stop because of the gospel. They stopped because they looked and they said, whoa, whatever that is he's got, I could do with some of that. Because I can tell that that guy is absolutely at peace within himself. What is that? But it's a very rare thing. Because the church is afraid of it. The church runs away from it. Don't know how to handle loving ourselves. Think it sounds all wrong. And that guy really showed me up. He was like a mirror to me. To show me my religious self. But hey, you can tell if you love yourself. Just listen to how you talk about yourself. Listen to your speech and that will tell you. Listen to the way you think. Listen to your own mind. The way you think of yourself. That will tell you. Whether you actually love yourself. I used to preach in a, in a Romanian church a lot in Dublin and I had a good friend with me who would interpret for us. His name was Vasily Paps and one day we were walking to the church and we were outside and somebody pulled up in a brand new car, you know, fresh out of the showroom, nice and shiny. And he looked at it and he said, wow. And we started looking at it and said, that's nice. And he nudged me and he said, Pastor Mike, God didn't make cars like that for people like you and me. <laughs> He's sorry he said that. I said, oh, didn't he now? I see. Well, let's just, let's just think on a little moment. Let's just finish your train of thought. So what you're actually saying is God made the good stuff for the lost, is it? And he made the bad stuff for his children for whom Christ died? Is that what you believe? And the truth is, you see, that's what many believe. Do you see what the problem is? If that guy walks around with that type of poverty mentality, small-mindedness, if he walks around like that, eventually he's going to start to think that God hates him. And that God doesn't want good for him. And then the next thing he's going to do is he's going to hate himself. It's all because of a religious mindset that we need to come right out of that. You see? Examples are hard to find. Let me say just a few things about what self-love is in the Bible and what it isn't. Loving yourself is not egotistical. It's not about inflating your, e your ego. That's the world's way of going about these things. Certainly not God's. It's got nothing to do with you. Loving yourself has got to do with the value that God has placed in you. Loving yourself is not selfish. It's obedience. It's the greatest, one of the greatest commandments, a part of the greatest commandment. You must love yourself. So it's not egotistical. It's not selfish. In fact, you know what? When somebody loves themselves, they're free to give love, right? Love flows back and forward, no problem. The selfish ones are the ones who feel they have to keep everything because they've got so little. 
Loving, loving yourself won't make you selfish. It'll actually make you that fountain of living water that Jesus promised. Amen, that's right. Loving yourself is not pride because you're not saying it's got anything to do with you anyway. You're pointing everyone towards God. Loving yourself doesn't mean that you accept your faults and do nothing about them. Like say someone's addicted to smoking or something. And they're trying to beat that habit. You don't say, well, I've accepted myself. I love myself. Therefore, I can smoke. You know? <laughs> it's not a license to sin. It's none of those things. That's not what the Bible's saying. And anyway, someone who took that attitude would never be happy in themselves. Loving yourself is accepting yourself unconditionally. The way God does. Letting yourself receive and live in unconditional love. Unfailing love. Allowing yourself to do that. That's what loving yourself is. Look, does God want you to forgive people when they sin against you? Every time? But he doesn't want you to forgive yourself, is it? No. God wants you to forgive others for everything. And he wants you to forgive yourself too. Does God want you to condemn others? No. Oh, but he wants you to condemn yourself, of course. No. God wants you to forgive others, and he wants you to forgive yourself. He doesn't want you to condemn others, and he doesn't, certainly doesn't want you to condemn yourself. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn anybody. I came to set people free. That's what I'm here for. Now, you need to do that for yourself. Accept his unconditional love and love yourself unconditionally. Humbly receive that. Start to treat yourself the way Jesus Christ would treat you. Now, I know that this can be ethereal, you know, something that we find hard to grasp. So let me give you six quick things that you can do to change your mindset, to change your self-perception. How do I love myself? Well, number one, start spending time with God. Don't shut me off because I say a statement like that. It's not a simple thing. You need to spend time with God specifically on this point. And do you know why? Because God loves you unconditionally. That's why. And as you spend time basking in the unconditional love of God, it's going to rub off. And you're going to start to feel that. You're going to start to think like that. Because he's got it, you see. He can give it to you, but you've got to let him. You've got to open up for that. Remember I told you I upset someone when I was in social services. I really hurt one of my colleagues and I was ashamed of myself. I was sitting in my office, my head down, and this person was walking around. And I'd asked for forgiveness and they said, that's okay, no problem, just forget it. But I couldn't get over myself. I couldn't forgive myself. And as the day went on, that gracious individual came and tapped me on the shoulder when my head was down and said, Michael, it doesn't do to dwell on things. I was free. And my head went from being down to being up. You know what the Bible says about Jesus? He is your redeemer and the lifter of your head. And too many believers, we know he's our redeemer, but there's more to it than that. He wants to free you from the weight of things that weigh you down, things you shouldn't be carrying. He wants us to be at home within ourselves to truly love ourselves. So first of all, spend time basking in the unconditional love of God. Secondly, don't define yourself by your past. Has anybody here not got a past? <laughs> We've all got a past, every single person, including Paul. And Paul the Apostle said this, This one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I'm going to press on towards the goal. I'm not going to be defined. I'm not going to be, you know figured out by my past or identified by my past. Now, what was Paul's past? Murder. Murdering Christians. Even Stephen, where it says in the book of Acts that Paul held the coats whilst they stoned Stephen, whose face took on the appearance of an angel. Oh, Paul had a past all right. And Paul knew better though. He said, I will not be defined by that. I'll never become who I'm supposed to be if I keep looking back. I can't let my past define me. I'll never love myself. And so it is with you. Take a lesson from Paul. Don't let your past stop you. You know the problem with people is their past is in front of them. That's the problem. Instead of being behind. 
They're pushing it forward, always remembering. And there's certain things about that you need to let go of. So take good advice from the Apostle Paul. So first, spend time with God and you can start to soak in his unconditional love. Secondly, don't define yourself by your past. And thirdly, and very importantly, learn to forgive yourself as well as others. I think we can cope with forgiving others by and large. But it's ourselves that's the problem. Look, have you ever done something wrong? You've sinned and you've said this to yourself. Oh, I could kick myself. Right? Many times, yes. <laughs> you know, I could slap myself. I could punch myself. You could, yeah. You're right. Absolutely right. And you know what that is? That's justice. It's the justice that is in you. You're made in God's image. And so you've got love, right? You've got love inside you. It's not the only thing you've got. You also have justice within you. A cry for justice. If somebody blew up a building or something in Glasgow, lost and saved, the whole city would say, we want justice, right? We want something done. We want that guy arrested. We want him to go to court. The city would cry for justice. But listen, hey, what do you do if you do something wrong? You know what you do? The very same thing. In your heart. You say, God, judge me. I deserve it. I've sinned, God. And I deserve you to sort me out. Come on. But all you get is grace. Until you figure it out. And until you accept the unconditional love of God. Until you accept his forgiveness. And he says, I don't want you to beat yourself up. Anyway, there's nothing you can do to take your sin away. That's why Christ had to come. Jesus came and took your sin on a cross. And we need to learn to forgive ourselves. Guilt is a terrible thing. A terrible, terrible thing. So much that Christ had to go to the cross to deal with it. You know, there's two types of guilt. There's real guilt and false guilt. There's what they call pseudo-guilt, pretendy guilt, and there's real biblical guilt. And you've got to figure out which one is trying to get you. You see, real guilt, when you commit a sin or you do something wrong, God convicts you and you think, oh no. Real guilt is comparatively easy to deal with. Because all we have to do is repent, turn to God and say, God, I am sorry for what I have done. And we truly repent and the guilt is gone, like it says in Hebrews. It's gone. Praise the Lord for being a New Testament believer. Real guilt leaves you with no remorse. It leaves you with no feelings, no memory. It's all gone. The blood of Jesus has washed your mind clean, cleansed your conscience, and you're free. That's easy to deal with. This is not. False guilt is very difficult. You know, there's some things God does and some things you have to do. Well, God does the biblical guilt bit. You have to do the pseudo-guilt bit, I'm afraid. You have to learn to forgive yourself. And you have to learn the difference between these things. Remember when we did the conscience, for instance. Your conscience can be a source of false guilt. Because it's broken. Your conscience is not God. It's broken. It's part of the fallen nature. And it can accuse you for things you haven't done. You'll never love yourself if you live under that weight. Right? Let me tell you something about false guilt, for instance, in terms of the conscience. A few years ago, I was in Belfast. I was visiting my mum. And it was ice, solid ice and snow. And I was leaving and very early in the morning, like six o'clock. It was very dark outside. And I came out and uh, the, the car was frozen. And I went back in and got some water and stuff and, and cleaned the windscreen a little bit. But I couldn't see out the back windscreen. So I said, OK, I'll see you later. You know, bye bye. I'm off. My mum's like 87 or something. And I go out in the dark and I start the engine. I'm just about to pull off. And praise God, I checked the rearview mirror. And there's a little hand with a tea towel trying to get the eye. I was just about to reverse over my own mother. It was that Another guy did reverse over her. Well, I mean, what's she doing? You know? I said, don't get in. Don't stand behind cars. Mom. You know, many a guy, you hear about it, you read about it in the paper. He goes out into his driveway, starts the car, reverses out and doesn't know his son or his daughter's behind it, right? And you read about it again and again. And then that person can spend the rest of their lives tortured by what? 
God? No, by false guilt. It was an accident. Do you know the reason why the word accident exists? Because there are accidents. That's why. It's an accident. You didn't mean it. It's not your fault. But the devil plays so many games with false guilt. God has forgiven you. But he wants you to, 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 to live under weights and pressure that God is not putting upon you. It's false guilt. Either a broken conscience or your parents. Your parents can, you know, heap loads of stuff on you that God doesn't do. You'd be very careful of that. And of course the devil. The devil is the accuser of the brethren. So he works double shifts to try and get you on that, right? And then you've got others. There's no end of other people who want to put guilt on you, right? Especially if you're trying to help them. <laughs> That's what I find anyway. The more you try to help people, the more they try and dump guilt on you, you know? It's crazy. I had one, one woman, she had a major problem with control. She was losing her marriage because of it. She's trying to control everybody and everything around her. And I knew this. I could see the damage being done. I prayed to God. I said, God, what do I do with this woman? And God told me to wait very clearly. Wait, and I will tell you when to deal with her. You try and deal with her now, you'll destroy her. She can't take it. I waited two years. Two years. And God can speak when he wants to speak. And I got a word from God. Go deal with her right now. I sat down with that woman. I said, you know, you've got a problem in your life. You want to control your husband. Your marriage is falling apart. You want to control everybody. You want to control me. You've got a problem and you need to deal with it. And I thought the meeting went well. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> a few hours go by and we're at home having our dinner, you know, and the phone rings and it's her. She said, I'm going to kill myself because of you. <laughs> I'm going to kill myself. You've ruined my life. I think, oh, what did I do? I'm trying to help you, aren't I? No, you've ruined my life. That's it. <clears throat> and we're having our dinner. Jeanette says, what are you going to do? I'm going to finish my dinner, thanks. <laughs> well, aren't you going to go down there? Well, why should I go down there? She said she's going to kill her. She's no more going to kill herself. She's trying to control me. It's an old habit. She can't get out of it. Everything is controlled by whatever means I can find. And at this moment, she happens to think if she tells me she's going to kill herself, that that will get me going. No, it won't. That's false guilt. You're trying to make me feel guilty to shift it off yourself, to shift the focus. And we don't play those games. Now, people will always do that, especially those you try to help. Right? They try and put blame on you, shift blame to you. People come into churches, you see, we try to help them. They go outside and start bad men. Well, don't go there. They do this. Just because we tried to help. So be careful of others. Be careful of your own conscience. Analyze your own background and your parents, your family. Oops. <laughs> Don't know what she's doing up there. Oops. Sorry, too far forward. Spend time with God and soak in the unforgivable love of God. Don't define yourself by your past or by your mistakes because God doesn't. Forgive others and forgive yourself for everything and learn the difference between true guilt and false guilt. And fourthly, Accept the fact that no one is perfect. You need to accept yourself, body, soul, and spirit. You need to accept your body, the one God gave you, that one, with all its imperfections. You need to accept your soul, that's your abilities and your inabilities, the things you wish you could do and you can't do. And you need to accept your spirit, your disposition. You need to learn to be comfortable within yourself. Remember this lady? The Scottish people will hear anyway. This is Michelle McManus, very famous here in Scotland and indeed in some cases around the world for what happened. She began to, to sing. She entered a song contest called Pop Idol, which everybody knows, right? And she, she entered it. She's 17 stone. She weighs, at the time she was, 17 stone in weight. And she puts herself forward for a Pop Idol contest. Well, that was it. Everybody starts phoning in and ringing in and writing in. And what did they say? A 17 stone girl can't be a pop idol. It's not right. That shouldn't be. And I just love the way she dealt with it. Why not? And she said very clearly, I don't want to be 17 stone. I'm going to try and lose weight. But I'm perfectly happy with myself. Thank you. 
Just because I'm 17 stone, I'm still going to sing. No matter what you think of me. She won the competition. Praise God. And her attitude, I thought, was absolutely excellent. Right throughout that whole thing. She held herself together. And she lost a lot of weight. But you can't let people put you down. Because you're too fat, too thin. Because of whatever your physical attributes are. The world will drive you crazy over this stuff, man. We live in the right survival of the thinnest type society. <laughs> this, this whole thing, that's actually a little pencil sketch I did at Jeanette the day we got married. Only joke. Only joke. We live in a size zero society. Do you know what size zero is? Size zero is an American size. It's the UK size four. European size 30. And about 10 years ago, the fashion designers wanted to make more money. And they saw a way of doing it. So what they did is they started to produce the latest clothing. And get very slim, very, 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 very slim, like zero, zero, zero models to, 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 to show them off and put them in Cosmopolitan and everything else. But guess what? Those clothes were only available in certain sizes. So if you were a 12 or a 13, or you had no chance, you're not, you can't have it. You see? And it became a sort of a zero culture, size zero. And that's a wicked thing. Because you see, do you understand what's happening? A girl who's a size 12 goes to the shop. She wants that dress, but it's not available. What's she going to do? She stops eating. And she starts, you know, starving herself to get thinner and thinner and thinner. This got such an issue that the governments got involved around the world in 2006. The Madrid Fashion Festival made it illegal for zero zeros. It was illegal. There was the, 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 the catwalk models were not allowed to be below a certain body mass. Praise God. Well done. And other countries I know are getting on board with that. But you cannot let society pressurize you like this. Look, hey, please. You know when you're young, very young, you think that looks matter. You do, don't you? You look in the mirror and you think, am I, am I good looking enough? It was never a problem I had. <laughs> you look in the mirror and you ask yourself, am I good looking enough? Right? Let me tell you something. Looks don't matter. They don't matter. And you ask, I ask Pearl, did you marry Jeff because of his looks? Maybe I shouldn't ask that. I don't know. <laughs> but do you know what? I can answer it for him. They don't love each other because of the way they look. And we don't love each other because of the way we look. Don't be fooled. You're on the wrong road. If that's your thinking, you're completely and utterly wrong. True? Those of you who are married, those who are older, You'll know that it's an absolute lie. It's a fake. It's false. Beauty is skin deep. Anyway, nature has a little trick it plays. With, with, with those who, who are very good looking very often, they can look extremely ugly, right? <laughs> if they're not behaving themselves. That's right. Correct? It's a little trick of nature. And you've got to watch that. Looks are exactly what they say. Skin deep. Yeah. So you don't need to do all this stuff. Don't play to their tune. Don't follow Vogue or whatever or Cosmopolitan. You don't have to starve yourself. You know, lead a healthy life, amen. But don't follow this stuff. This is rubbish. I mean, the, the world of showbiz is under massive pressure. You know, Whitney Houston, she had this from she was born. Born and bred, you know, to be someone famous. But she learned, she's had a topsy-turvy life, but she learned through her life that I can't live to please everybody. I can't live my life to please others. I've got to learn to love myself. Or I'm finished. Like so many others, she could have killed herself. And so she expressed it in a song she sang. I decided long ago never to walk in anyone's shadow. If I fail, if I succeed, at least I did what I believed. No matter what they take from me, they can't take away my dignity. Because the greatest love of all, what did Jesus say? What is the greatest commandment? The greatest love of all is happening to me. I've found the greatest love of all inside of me. It's easy to achieve. It's learning to love yourself. It's the greatest love of all. And somehow think those words are not easily learned. But they come through a lot of pain and a lot of suffering. 
that you have to experience, or you don't have to, but people experience rejection. They realize they've leaned their ladder against the wrong wall. They realize the shallowness of beauty or looks. They realize that it's all a waste of time. And that what they should have done, instead of seeking the approval of others and giving their lives for that, what's this for? It's for others. It's for others so that they would look at you in that dress. Right? It's for others. And the person needs to go right back. Hey, see what she's saying? I've got to learn to love myself just the way I am, unconditionally, and not be taken up with the world and the flow. The pressure out there, I know it's immense, but don't be sucked into it. So accept that no one is perfect. Give yourself permission to fail. And this is a huge one, guys. I I must say, nothing has impressed me more in in my years in ministry than this point. I'm shocked at the number of people who are not bold, who don't, you know, press on out there. People are very, very easily put off, frightened of failure all the time, and don't do anything because of it. It's crazy. We limit ourselves so much. Many of you take yourselves far too seriously. You take yourself too seriously. You need to relax a little bit, make a few mistakes, and laugh at it. We had a huge event in Ireland. Something like 27 churches came together. And the, the, the opening thing, the whole crowd went silent. And these were mixed churches, so the atmosphere was quite tense because nobody knew each other. And the worship leader came out on the platform. And I remember the moment. It was a key moment. He went up to begin, and this was the first word spoken. And as he went up and took his guitar, his guitar went, eh. he went to the mic and the mic went, eh. and the whole place, no one knew what to do. And then it just stopped. There was a moment of silence and all eyes were on him. Do you know what he did? His name was Peter Trainer. He leaned into the microphone and he said, good job I don't take myself too seriously, isn't it? And everybody laughed. And I remember that moment because he was so confident in himself that the exteriors really didn't matter. If he didn't have that confidence, that moment could have crushed, oh, that's just me, isn't it? Always got it wrong. You need to learn to make a few mistakes. Not make a few mistakes, you know, cope with it. (laughs) To get over it and not to let people put you down because of it. Do you know, we've got six full-time pastors in this church, but one of them we get more complaints about than any other. One of them, People have have left the church because of him. And I'm not going to point him out. I wouldn't do that. (laughs) One of them (laughs) gives us more grief than any other. (laughs) Jeff here, as you know, Jeff is a street preacher. And he goes down there and he gets up on the ladder and he racks his brain, racks his mind week on week to try and think of ways of reaching the lost. Now you get up on the ladder down there And you go for it. Do you know what? Sometimes he fails. Sometimes he gets it very wrong. And other times he doesn't. The times he gets it wrong, have you got any idea of the number of complaints he gets? Have you any idea? You don't. Believe me. There's more complaints from people saying, oh, and I didn't like this. Oh, and I didn't like that. Oh, and I don't like this. If for one moment... He let that affect him. He wouldn't even be here. You wouldn't bother getting up. You have to learn to feel. We meet together, just the two of us, and we talk it through, and we go through the complaints. (laughs) So-and-so said this. Is that true? I think there's a little bit of truth in there, but the most of it's rubbish. Next. Someone said this. Mm, That's all rubbish. Somebody said that. Now, that's true. I think we really missed that one. Right? And what, what, what are we doing? We're learning to fail. Learning to fail but not give in. The greatest failure is not, it's stopping. And I've said to, to him face to face many times, I tell you what, Jeff, when these things come in, do you know what we'll do? We'll take them. Look at them. We'll accept the right bits. We'll dump the rest. But I tell you this, the one thing we won't do is stop. We will not stop. Complaints or no complaints. If you stop, you really are a failure. You really are a failure. You've lost it. You've given into it. You've got to learn to fail and accept that. 
I remember one guy came to Liverpool when we were there to preach, and it was excellent. I can't remember a word he said. <laughs> but it was on failure. And he, it, I remember I was, I was raptured by it because he ended up dancing around the front of the church singing, I'm a failure, I'm a failure. And he accepted it. Accepted all his shortcomings. Accepted everything about himself. And took himself to the place where he had joy and freedom from having to live up to some false standard. God accepts you unconditionally. All the anger, all the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus Christ. Exhausted. It is finished. For your sin, past, present, future, all the wrath of God. So when you sin, you don't look up forward, you look back. All of the judgment, all of the anger, all of that was poured out on him. It's a done deal. It's a past event. And I thank God for the cross because there is my forgiveness. I don't have to punish myself. He's done that for you. So learn to feel. Point six, embrace humility, not self-loathing. Self-loathing is a very different thing. Someone who loves himself has learned to say, I'm blessed, but not be arrogant or proud in doing so. I'm blessed because of God. God has blessed me. Somebody who loves themselves can agree with the scripture that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. But if you don't love yourself, then the stuff you will say is not God-pleasing. Oh, what am I? I'm nothing. I never was anything. I'll never amount to anything. Do you know what that is? Slander. That is slandering yourself and slandering God. The God who says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. It's slandering him. And we need to change our minds. Change your attitude today to yourself. Back to the beginning. What did Paul say? He's looking at marriages. He's looking at husbands and wives. And he can see, ah, oh, I see the problem here. They're sucking the life out of each other. This man doesn't have love for himself. She doesn't have love for himself. They're unable and they're pulling each other apart. And he says, I'll tell you what, let me give you some advice. You want a happy marriage? Learn to love yourself. Learn to stand on your own two feet. Learn to love yourself. And then when you both come together, you can be an addition, a bonus to each other and not drain each other of strength and of energy. And lastly, when you do this, it means that you can become everything that God has made you to be and that God has planned you to be. The promises of God for you can be yes and amen. Because you're growing into the person that God made you to be. You can fulfill that. I don't know if there's anything better in life than that. Amen. Once you've learned to love yourself. If you love yourself, you can love others. Simple as that. You don't love yourself, you're so messed up, you've got nothing to give. If you love yourself, you can compliment others. Do you know why people don't compliment others? Because they feel it will take from themselves. They think they're losing something. When I say to you, that's a nice dress, that's a nice hat, that's whatever. That's, the, that's what it is. We think we're losing something. We're so impoverished. You see? Loving yourself helps you to love others, helps you to give compliment, compliments, and it will give you confidence in just everyday life. You say, do you know what? I'm going to go for that job. I wasn't going to go for it, but why not? Why not me? I'm going to do that college course. I'm going to further myself. I'm going to better myself. Why not? Why not do it? Why not me? Jesus died for me, didn't he? I am special. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Hey, all of that, the devil wants the opposite. He wants the absolute opposite. He wants to put you down, think negatively about yourself, and whatever you do, remember, hate yourself. And God says, no, 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 no. Love yourself as I have loved you. Learn to love yourself like I do. Soak in my unconditional love. I'll have the worship team back a moment. We're not finished just yet. Today's been a very prophetic day, right from early morning. Pastor Tom read a scripture there that really hits the nail on the head. Pastor Jeff read one in the early morning prayer. 
Now, I think God can see you. Maybe your vision of him is a little bit confused right now, but you know what? God can see you. And he knows you through and through. He knows your pain, he knows your suffering, and he knows the way you see yourself. And this morning, I believe he just wants to breathe on you to let you see yourself as he sees you, to give you permission to love yourself. Just think a moment. Let me ask you a question. Look at me. Do you love yourself? Don't answer. Do you love yourself? When you look in the mirror, which is it? Thank you, God? Or, oh my God. Right? Which is it? Have you learned to accept yourself unconditionally, to receive that love of God? Because He's got it and you need to soak it in. Every single person here special. Every single person here loved. Individually. I want you to read the words of this before we sing it. When my burden keeps me doubting and when my memories take the place of you. And so often you're here in worship and God wants you. But you know what's in the way? Your past. When my memories get in the way of him and I doubt myself and fear this great and awesome God. And this morning I want you to put your past behind you and receive his unfailing love, his unconditional love. Just keep your eyes closed. Just keep your hands raised. I just feel some very specific words in my heart right now and I'm going to speak them out. I believe God wants to say to those of you here who have had an abortion, I want you to forget that. I believe God is telling you to forget that, to put it aside and to put it as part of your past and to trust in Him. To those of you who are divorced and have come through the pain of that, that God would say to you, I want you to forget that. I want you to make it firmly part of your past this morning. Put it down. No longer carry the weight and the pain of that. Let it go. Let it go. Father God, move over us, Lord. Begin to remove, Jesus, every hindrance to your love coming to us, your unconditional love. Remove them, Lord. Come, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. You know, it's very hard to live with a person who doesn't love you. You can imagine how hard it is for you to live with yourself when you don't love yourself. 24-7, you're with yourself. And God wants to work on that time and set you free from self-condemnation. Lord, come over this place like a hoover and remove all false guilt, 